All right, good evening. Good to see you guys out this evening. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I think this is a, a very, maybe the most important chapter in, in the book of 1 Timothy. I know this is not the most exciting chapter in 1 Timothy. This is not one that everybody's looking forward to. It's not one that everybody's coming out for church on a Sunday night for. It's probably not one that will get viewed a whole lot on, on social media. Uh, last week we had a sermon on the, the woman's place in the church, and that one exploded on social media. Uh, this one won't get nearly as many views. This one won't get nearly as much attention. But I think this passage is as, as important as any passage in all of the pastoral epistles. This is important for the church. In this chapter, chapter 3, it gives us the instructions for the leadership of the church. And we need to hear this. I, I know that every single one of us, all of us in here, if I was to go around the room and ask you, we would all say that we've been influenced in some way, in some, somehow, by a preacher or a pastor. Whether that be a, a, a pastor's influenced you in a, in a hurtful way or a helpful way, in a, in a good way or a bad way. We've all been influenced by some pastor in some way in, in, in our lives. So we've all been there. And that's why I call this the highest calling in the world because it influences so many people. It influences the church, and, I, and I'm going to say this throughout the sermon. I think the pastor, and that's not just because I'm a pastor, but I think the pastor influences the church, which influences the family, which influences the, the town, which influences the state, which influences the nation, which influences the world. And it all comes from, as goes the pulpit, so goes everything else. This is the highest office in the, in the world. Uh, it's the highest calling in the world. That's why I called this sermon tonight the highest calling in the world. I almost call it the greatest job in the world because that's what I think it is. I, I don't think there's anything else in the world that anybody should want to do other than to preach the gospel. But I'm going to title it the highest calling in the world. Uh, so let's stand together. And I'm going to read this passage and, and I'm going to give you some good news and some bad news. Uh, I don't know if it's good news and bad news. It's just news. <laughs> I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 7. And then I'm only going to preach verse 1, because verse 1 will give you the high call of a pastor, and it is the highest call in the world. And then verses 2 through 7 will give you the highest character in the world. The pastor, to meet the call, has to have the character. So we'll look at that. It'll probably be January, because we've got a lot of stuff going on in, in uh, the Sunday nights in December. So I want to show you tonight the highest call in the world, and that'll be in verse 1. And we'll spend all of our time there. But let me read the entire passage to you. And this is, this is uh, hard for me. I mean, I've got to meet this standard. I don't want to become disqualified. So this is, a, this is an important passage. Verse 1, it says, This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, not a striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth his, well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know, know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are on the outside lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So we'll stop there, and we're going to look tonight at the highest calling in the world. And I, and I think it is. 
Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones would say that. He said, to me, the, preaching, uh, the work of preaching is the highest and greatest and most glorious calling which anyone can ever be called. So it is the highest calling in the world. Let's pray together and we'll study this, this verse. Father, we thank you for uh, the high calling of a pastor. And we'll talk about tonight, God, why it's such a high call and the responsibility that's laid on the shoulders of the pastor. And it is a, a weighty call. And God, I pray that you would help me to understand these verses before anyone else. I need to be harder on myself than anyone else is on me. This is a big deal here. Actually, I don't think there's anything bigger outside of salvation by grace through faith in Christ. This is a big deal. Who will stand and who will preach and who will lead the church? So God, help me to teach this one verse and really the whole thing together and help us to understand this. I think there's a lot of things that could be fixed in our churches if people would just read and understand 1 Timothy chapter 3. So teach us these things here tonight, and we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. It's common to hear, and this is a common saying, especially amongst the people that I, I'm around, the pastors and the preachers that I'm, I mingle with and, and the books that I read, they will say this, and, and whether you like it or not, it's a true statement. And the statement is, as goes the pastor, so goes the church. As goes the man behind the pulpit, so goes the people in the pews. And that's a true statement. Whether you like it or not, the man in the, behind the pulpit or the man who's leading the church is going to influence everything that goes on in the church. And the Bible says the same thing. Uh, the book of Hosea says, like the people, like the priest. And then in Luke 6.40, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone that is fully trained will be like his teacher. And it says the same thing in both passages, Old Testament and New. As goes the, the preacher, so go, goes the people in the pews, the church. It's the power of leadership. You see it in the, in the Old Testament as every time there was a good leader in Israel, the people of Israel did well. And if there was a bad leader in Israel, the, the, the Israel did, did terribly. It was all a matter of how good or how bad the, the leadership was. You see it in the New Testament as, as Israel went really off a cliff and as bad as they could go with the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees and Jesus was giving them a hard time. It was the priests that Jesus, Jesus gave a hard time to. Because as goes the, the, the leaders, so goes everyone else. Everything rises and falls with the leadership. As goes the pastor, so goes the church. If a pastor takes the Bible serious, then the people will take the Bible serious. If the pastor is a godly man, the people will have a model and be a godly people. If a pastor is kind, you guys want to get to how I'm going with this, then the people will be kind. If the pastor is generous with his time, with his money, with his service, then the people will be generous. If the pastor is hospitable and opens up his home, then the people will be hospitable. If a pastor is bold and, and courageous and will take a stand in the midst of, a, of, a, of an ungodly, perverse, and wicked generation, then you know what the church will do? It will follow suit and it will be, it'll be passionate and bold and courageous just like their pastor. And those are the good things, but the opposite is also true. And think about this, if a, if a pastor doesn't take the Bible serious, then the people won't take the Bible serious. If a pastor gets up behind the pulpit and he just plays around and he, and he twists the scripture to, to say what, whatever he wants it to say, then the people in their own time, when they open up the Bibles, will do the exact same thing. They'll play with it, they'll twist it, they'll turn it, they'll get it to say anything they want it to say so that they can do whatever they want to do. If a pastor isn't godly, then the church won't be godly. I'll tell you what, there's a lot that rises and falls with the pastor. 
If the pastor isn't godly, the parents won't be godly, and the children won't be godly. You better find you a church that has a, a biblical pastor. If the pastor is unkind, the church will be unkind. If the, if the pastor is stingy, then the, the church will be stingy. If the pastor is not hospitable and he's closed off and he, he doesn't want to be around his people, then they'll be just like that. If the pastor is a coward, then cowers down and bows down. When the, when the fire gets hot, the church will do the same thing. So as goes the pastor, so goes the church. Church leadership matters. It's critically important. And, and I see in, in our culture today, a lot of the problems in our churches falls right back on bad pastors. Many of the problems in church today is pastors that are, and I hate to say this, they're either just bad pastors or the church has no pastor at all or the pastor at the worst case scenario might even be an unbelieving pastor. So a lot of churches are in a bad spot today because of bad pastors. And I think a lot of those problems and a lot of those churches could be fixed if we would just open up 1 Timothy chapter 3 and read it and understand it. If I had a chance to preach in a pastor's conference, and I just preached in one a couple weeks ago, and I had the chance to do two sermons. The first sermon would be preach the word, which is the highest thing that you could do in a church. The, the best thing you can do is preach. And then I would talk with the highest calling. I'd preach this passage right here. As goes the, the pastor, so goes the church. And that's exactly what Paul is telling Timothy here. Paul started this church, and you could have, have no better pastor than Paul. He would stand up in the church, and he would say to the people, follow me as I follow Christ, and they would. What a, what a bold thing to say. That I'm, doing such a, I'm, I'm such a godly man, so close to God, that if you follow me, you're going to be following Christ. And Paul started this church and now he's handed it off to Timothy who is to fulfill this responsibility. And this church is in a lot of trouble now as we see in 1 Timothy 3. There's some bad leaders in the church. I don't know if you want to follow with me, but just let me show you how bad the leadership was in this church. 1 Timothy 1.3, it says, at the end of verse 3, it says that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So there were some leaders in the church that was teaching bad doctrine. Verse 6 says that they were uh, swerving away and turned aside into, into vain jangling. So they were teaching some, some weird things there. Chapter 2, verse 8, there was women in the church that were preaching. And he says, we, don't, we can't do that anymore. And as we read that last week. He said, I, I, I suffer not a woman to teach or to have authority in the church. So they're having some issues in this church. I could go on. Chapter 4 says that there's, verse 1 the leadership's giving away to seducing spirits and the doctrines of devils and speaking lies in hypocrisy and their conscience is seared with a hot iron and they're, they're forbidding people to get married. There's some bad leadership in this church. Chapter 5, verse 19. Chapter 6, verse 3. Chapter 6, verse 21. I think even the last verse of the whole thing says, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. There's some bad leadership in this church. And now Paul writes to Timothy and says, I started this thing well and handed it off to you. And now the leadership in the church is all messed up now. So he writes this because there's a problem in the church. So he says, Timothy, you got to get this straight. Here's what a man of God looks like. Here's what a pastor ought to be. This is for Timothy. This is for the, 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 the future pastors of this church. This is for all of us in all churches in all time. This is the high calling of the pastor. So this week I'm going to look at the high calling. Next week I'm going to look at the high character. 
or the next time we meet. I had, a, I had a, in, in my head, I, I, I was going to do the whole, all the verses. And I said, I can either do one short, short sermon this week, and then another short sermon the next time, or I can put it all together and do one big, long sermon. So I chose to do two short sermons, which really means two long sermons. So let's look at it. I want to look at the high calling of a pastor, just in verse 1. And I, I want to say this, President Woodrow Wilson was asked what his greatest honor was in his entire life. This guy was president of the United States. This was after he was president, and they sat him down in an interview and said, what's your, the greatest honor that you've ever had in your life? And his answer was to be an elder in, the, in a Presbyterian church. This guy was president. He met with the leaders of the, of the free world, and, and I mean, of all over the world, and he said, my highest honor was leading in a church. There's no higher calling in all the world than to be a pastor of a church. So I want to show you that tonight. I want to give you four points to show you how serious and how high this calling is. This is the highest calling in the world. Number one, I want to show you it is a serious call. I would say a serious call. It is a a very serious call. And it'll go, I'd even go as far as to say it is a drop dead serious call. It is as serious as a heart attack. There's no more serious job in all the world than to be called to be a pastor of a church. Look at verse one. We're just going to stop right here. This is a true saying. Stop. Or he could say this is a trustworthy saying or a faithful saying or a reliable saying. And, and every time Paul says this is a true saying, and he says it five times in three letters that he wrote, three pastoral letters, and he says five times this is a true saying. And what that means is this is a common saying. This is a, a truth that is being passed around in that time that everybody knows is true. This is, this is something they'd heard, something that everyone believes, something that is widely accepted in, in the church in that time. It's true and everybody knows it. This phrase describes a critical saying or a serious saying. And I'm going to show you where he says it just to prove to you that every time he says it, he's talking about something incredibly serious. Look with me in verse 15 of chapter 1. This is a faithful saying. It's the exact same wording. Verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that everybody agrees to this, that Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the chief. He's saying, guys, this is a a widely accepted saying. And and then he says, the gospel that Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. So he uses a saying in, in, in such an important place as the gospel. He says it here. Then he says it in chapter four, verses, verses nine and 10. This is a faithful saying and worthy of everybody to accept it. For therefore we labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially those that believe. Again, a gospel issue. He's letting them know how important this issue I'm talking about is. I can go even further. You guys want to follow with me? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. It is a faithful saying. He says it there again. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. It is a faithful saying. For if we, we be dead with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He'll deny us. You know what this is? It's not just a gospel issue. Now He's saying this is a life and death issue. This is a, a, a dying and being resurrected issue. This is a, a big deal. Every time He uses this is a faithful saying, He's talking about something very serious and important. I can give you another one. I don't know if you guys want another one, but I've only got one verse to preach tonight. Titus 3, verse 8. This is a faithful saying. 
And these things I, I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. This is how to live the Christian life. I mean, all these things. I mean, you've got a gospel issue, gospel issue, life and death issue, how to live the Christian life issue. These are very serious and important sayings. So, he put the high calling of a pastor on the same level with gospel issue, life and death issue, eternal issue, living the Christian life issue. This is not a, a secondary matter. It's on the same level with these most important things. Things that could not be any more important. It's on the, on par with that. It's not a secondary thing. It's a primary thing. Paul isn't leaving chapter two and the important stuff and going into chapter three to talk about secondary matters. He's saying this is what I'm talking about, a critical issue. So the call of a pastor is a big deal. The call to preach is a big deal. I don't want to read to you 2 Timothy 4, 1, where he, he takes it into a Trinitarian issue to preach the word. So he says, this is a big deal. This is as serious as a heart attack. And the men who take that position need to know how serious it is. And the church who calls people into that position needs to know how serious it is. That this is a very serious issue. That we shouldn't, should never take it lightly. We should never treat it lightly. It is a true saying that we shouldn't just let anybody be the leader of a church and to stand behind a pulpit. It is as serious as any issue that you will deal with in the church. And we today, and I want to apply this, have taken something that he makes very serious. And it's not just Paul. This is God making it serious. Who will lead the church of the living God? We have taken it and just let anybody do it in any way they want to do it and just let it go. And taken it so lightly when God says we must take it so very seriously. This is a, a drop dead serious call. Don't you ever go to a church that has a pastor who doesn't take this call seriously. Don't you ever go to a church or listen to a pastor who plays around with the highest call in the world. Nothing more serious than who will lead God's church. There should be fear and trembling in this. John Knox, I was going to teach on him this morning if Johnny couldn't make it. He was sitting in church one, one Sunday. He was a preacher in the Reformation in Scotland. He was sitting 42 years old, sitting in a church, and the pastor stands up in the church and points him out in the middle of the service and says, you, young man, have been called to preach the gospel and the pastor in this church. <laughs> Try that out. <laughs> he got up, ran out of the church, screaming in tears, went home and hid out in a room until he could fathom how big this was. And when he walked out, he was a God-called man who nobody could stop. But that's how serious this is. It's as serious as any, any calling in the entire world. And we got men today who are playing with it. So first, this is a serious call. Second, it's a sobering call. 
It's, it's a, you, you, you could say sobering. You could say, I, I, I wrote down here also, it's a weighty call. Because look what it says. It says, and I want to jump down there to the word that it uses. This is a true saying. If any man desire the office of a bishop. And, and, that, and I would just stop right there. We're going to work at phrase by phrase. If any man desire the office of a bishop. So that, that, that sounds strange to us. But I want you guys to start calling me Bishop Josh. <laughs> We don't use the word bishop. I know that, that we never throw that word around here or we even talk about the office of a bishop. But the word used here is uh, episcopate is what it is. And it's where really that we get the term episcopalian at. And this word means, and you could look it up in the, in the Greek, episcopate means overseer. So what it says here is if any man desires the office of an overseer, one who looks over the church. One who is not overruling the church as a, as a boss, but an overseer who keeps an eye on the place. That, that's the term that it uses here. A bishop or an overseer. Somebody who watches over the house of God. Almost like, and I hate to use it this way because it's too serious. I won't even go there. I was going to say babysit, but that's not a good term. Somebody who watches over. You're, you're, you're keeping your, a better term would be shepherd. Someone who watches over the flock as the chief shepherd goes to heaven and he leaves a, an under shepherd down here to say, I'm up there and it's your job now to keep, keep an eye on to watch over my flock. That's the word here, to be an overseer. That's the title. Let me give you some more. First Peter chapter five. If you guys want to turn with me, first Peter chapter five. There's a lot of terms that is used to describe a pastor. I've had people actually ask me, Josh, what do you, what, what do you prefer to be called? <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of names that you could call somebody. I was going to preach a funeral a while back and they wanted to put my name in the obituary and they said, what do we put before your name? You know, we could put all kinds of things. A lot of people, you know, they'll say reverend, they'll say minister, they'll say, what, you know, all these things, pastor or elder or this or, or that. What do you prefer to be called? I said, call me what my wife calls me. Hey, you. <laughs> but there's all kinds of things here. First Peter chapter 5. Let me give you some of these. Verse 5, it says, the elders, verse 1, chapter 5, the elders which are among you. I exhort who, whom also an elder. That's the term elder. We use that. And witnesses of the suffering of Christ, also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight, there's that word again, the overseer thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but as an example to the flock. When the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a, a crown of glory that doesn't fade away. Again, he uses several terms there. Elder, shepherd, overseer, even pastors in this passage. Let me take you down to another place. Acts chapter 20. Just to give you an idea of all these terms. Acts chapter 20. Verse 28. This is Paul leaving the church at Ephesus. And, and he gives them this last speech. And he says, verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves, unto all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you an overseer. Isn't that, that may be the most popular term for a pastor in, in all the New Testament, an overseer. That word again, bishop or episcopate. To be an overseer, of, of, of the, the, to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Again, overseer and shepherd and, and watching over. And we can add preacher and we can add teacher and just go on and on. And other denominations have names for all kinds of different pastors. You say, why in the world? And here's my, here's my question where I'm going with this. Why in the world do we have all these titles? 
just for one man. Nobody else has that. Everybody else gets one title, gets one position, and it seems like the Bible can't, can't single out one. I mean, it's all talking about the pastor of the church, and why all these words, why all these titles, why not just, just pick one and, and go with it? So that all of us can be called the same thing. I could go around, everybody here could call me bishop. The answer is, all these titles. This is where I say this is weighty. This is sobering. That you could take, and, and, and you, you may not have to do it, but I have to do it. That I have to take all these titles and I have to work out what that title means because that title brings with it just one of many of the responsibilities of what a pastor does. When I say the term elder, it means that, that, that I have to be spiritually mature. Not that I have to be older than everybody else because I'm obviously not older. I'm such a young guy. So I'm not older than everybody else, but I I must be spiritually mature. He says there in the qualifications, don't put a novice into the position of a pastor because he's likely to fall. So he has to be spiritually mature. That's what the term elder means. An overseer, which is the, the main term. So I did that. I went through every one of these terms. Elder, spiritually mature, overseer. What does that mean? Overseer means that you look over the most important body in the entire world. The flock that Jesus purchased with His own blood. There's no greater position in all the land, in all the world, than overseer of God's flock. Put that weight on your shoulders. Overseer of the flock of God. Of the blood-bought people of God. Hebrews 13.7 says, You're not just watching over the people in the building. It says you watch over the souls of the people in the in the building. Let me say this. I said it's sobering. It's weighty. Every one of these names adds more weight to the shoulders of the man who's the pastor of a church. I've had people sit in my office and tell me, I want to be in your chair. And I know what they meant. They didn't literally mean that they wanted to change seats with me. They said, I want the position that you hold. And I looked at them and I said, you want the position I hold You have to take the weight that comes with it. And every one of these titles puts a little bit more weight on the man behind the pulpit. That you have to be spiritually mature. That you have to be an overseer, not just of the people of God, but of the souls of the people in the pews. I'm held responsible for the souls of people in these pews. I got another name for you, pastor. The one who leads and cares for and feeds the flock. It's my job to be the leader. It's my job to care. It's my job to make sure you're spiritually fed every time you come into this building. That's why I sit back in that office and prepare and sweat and pray. Because I know you need to be fed. And it can't be some fast food, something I've thrown together. It has to be something meaty. It has to be something that will feed your soul and carry you through the week, and carry you through what is a a terrible world that we live in. You need to be fed. You need to be led. And and there's another weight that goes on the shoulders of of the man of God. And then it says, the word minister, the greatest among you will be your servant. That you're not just up there overseeing, but you're down there with your people, and serving, and getting dirty, and doing the exact same things they're doing, as an example unto them, that I'm not just up here, and hiding out in my office, but I want to do everything that I ask you to do. Then there's the term preacher. To stand up and be the voice of the word of God. Just keep adding the weight to the shoulders of the man of God. It's the highest calling in the world. To be a prayer. 
People have no idea how many prayer requests come through to the pastor. That you weep with those who weep and you, you laugh with those who laugh and you rejoice at a wedding and you cry at a funeral. Then it says example. The pastor must be one who can stand up and say, look at me and do as I do. Follow me. See how I live. See how I lead my kids and how I love my kids. See how I love my wife. And if I can't stand up and say, see how I love my wife, then I shouldn't be the pastor of your church. This is weighty. This is, this is a, a sobering call. We could go on and on and on. Watch how I serve. Watch how I give. Watch everything in my life. And you should be able to do as I do. Wow. We could go on and on and on. And all of this is just so the church, and he's saying this, just so the church can feel the weight and the man can feel the weight of the position of pastor of a church. This is a weight. This is a responsibility. Taking care of God's people and God's church is a sobering call. A weight that never goes away. A weight that never turns off. A responsibility that you never lose. Sobering. Weighty. Overwhelming call. Now I know what you're doing. You're sitting there in the pews and you're saying, who in their right mind would want to do that? And that's the the next one. This is a strong call. Because watch what it says. We ask the question, how does somebody know that they're called to do this? Why would somebody want to do this? And that's a big question because in the Old Testament, you, it, was, it was so easy. I, I kind of wish, and I, I remember when I was trying to figure out whether I was called to do this or not, that I wanted it to be like the Old Testament. I wanted it to be like, like Moses who, who was standing out in the, in, the, in the wilderness and he saw a bush that was on fire but it was not consumed and, and he walked up to it and they said, take off your, the bush, a voice out of the bush to take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Takes off his shoes, walks up to it, bows down. And out of the out of the burning bush says, I've called you to do something. I wanted that. I wanted a burning bush. God, tell me if you want me to do this. You don't get that anymore. In the New Testament, Jesus walked around and he found some fishermen and said, Hey, you guys over there fishing. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. You're now called to, to be a preacher. Paul knocked him off his high horse and said, Hey, Paul, I got a job for you. You're called to go to the Gentiles. I wanted that. Give me that, God. Make it clear to me that this is my calling. That's not how it works. You say, how does it work today? How do men know today that they are called to do something this serious? And the answer is, found in that one word right there in that passage. Desire. You see it there with me? Watch this. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop... He desires a good work. There you go. It says it two times. But that's the funny thing here is, it says desire twice, but it's two different words. And I know you guys probably don't care, but when I, when I looked look this up in the Greek, I thought, why is he giving us two desires here? Why didn't he use the same word? And what it would say is, if a man aspires to the office of a bishop, he lusts after a good work. That's what, it, that's what it would say in the Greek. If the man aspires to or reaches out for or grasps after or he wants. Think that first word as Hallie. She's starting to walk. We were walking with her here before church and, and she, me and Emma was walking her back and forth and then she got to me and she looked up and done. 
I don't want to walk no more, you know. I want you to pick me up. You've always walked me. Now I want you. And it's easy. It's easy. When she does that, I do this and I pick her up. She's aspiring for, desiring after somebody to pick her up. She's reaching out after something. And that's what that word means. It's, it's to aspire. And then the other one is to set your heart on. That's the second one. To lust after. This could be a good thing or a bad thing. It could be, it's basically, I want something incredibly bad. I have a deep, burning, lusting, longing desire deep down in me. The first one is a physical act where I'm reaching out after it. And the second one is something deep in my bones that I can't even control. You say, why has, why has he got two here? I think these two things are the evidence of a call. You have to have both of these things or you're not called to do this. Let me show you how it works. You ready for this? You guys might not care, but this is, this is so good. So the, the, the burning, lusting desire in the heart, that's the, that's the one I want to start with because that's where it starts. It has to start inside. It has to start with the work of God in your heart, a spirit-generated, compelling, overwhelming desire placed inside you by the Holy Spirit. I can't explain it. But when you get that desire inside you, there's nothing in the world that can stop you. When you get that desire inside you, and I fought that desire, I started having a desire inside me to do something that I didn't want to do. I started to have a longing and a, and a burning and, and, and a wanting for to, to be a pastor. And I actually went, we got on my knees and in my house and bound it, and I prayed, God, if you want me to do this, you're going to have to make me want to do this. And then it became such a, a strong desire within me that there was nothing else in the world I could do but be a preacher. A job that nobody else wants. And God works it within you that you can't do nothing but do that. I remember in my ordination council, you guys would never guess it, but they almost didn't pass me. I said some things that made them mad. I don't know. That's just, just my personality, maybe. That they didn't like. And, and they, they, they got together, sent me out of the room. It was in fishtails. I had my ordination council in fishtails over some chicken. It, it was. Anyway, those guys, those elderly men, was around the table and they said, Josh, step outside. We're going to discuss this, whether we're going to pass you or not. And I walked back in. The first thing they asked me was, Josh, if we tell you no right now, what are you going to do tomorrow? And I said, I'm going to go back to the church I'm at, and I'm going to preach the gospel just like I would do if you told me yes. Because there's something inside me that says, I can't, I can't not preach. I can't not do this. There's nobody that can stop me. I can't explain it. I don't know. I know where it comes from. It's a. It's something that God gives. It's not natural. It wasn't natural then. It's not natural now. I mean, in that time, if you become a pastor, you probably died doing it. You didn't live very long. It was dangerous. It was risky. You were the most hated man in the world. Probably you're going to be martyred if you surrender to the call to ministry. Who would want to do this unless God placed a desire inside you, a fire in your bones that nobody could put out? That's what this is. It has to start in our heart. A job that nobody wants to do. I mean, who? Name a kid that you have in your life where you looked at them and said, what do you want to do when you grow up? And they said, I want to be a pastor. They just don't, they don't do that. They say athlete. They say fireman. A Christian told me earlier this week after watching all the, the, the way we honored Officer Chandler, he said, Dad, I think I want to be a police officer. 
I said, you're desiring a good work, son. But nobody says, I want to be a pastor. That has to be something that God does in here. But you have a desire to serve God by serving his people. It must come from the heart that has to be put there by God. The other desire is the outworking of this desire. That when God gives you this inward desire, it now becomes something that's an outward pursuit that you're going to go after. And, and that's what that, that other desire is. It's that I aspire to do something. It's the, the reaching out of the wheel and of the action. It's now I have this desire, so now I've got a new direction that I have to go in life. That I can no, I can no longer be where I'm at and do what I'm doing. I've got to pursue this desire now. I've got to go after it with everything that I have. And I can't help but use myself as an example because I'm the only person I know that's ever had to, had to deal with this. I'm, I'm, I know it personally. That as soon as that desire started working in my heart and I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Now I've got to put a plan together in how I can become what God has called me to be. So I'll put a plan in place. I'm, just, I'm a planner. So I said that I've, I've got to, that's that outward pursuit. That's that reaching out to do it. I've, got, I've now got to get my feet working to go and do what God has called me to do. So I put a plan together. And I said, Steph, we're moving. <laughs> that was a fun conversation. We're moving to Lynchburg. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to, go, I'm going to get my master's degree. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. Steph looked at me and she said, me and our two kids will stay here. You can go. I got on my knees back in my basement of that same house in Pound. And I said, God, like you changed my heart, will you please change my wife's heart? And make her want to go to Lynchburg. I came home a week later and I sit down and walked in the kitchen. And she was sitting there filling out my application to go to seminary. God had changed her heart. So we took the steps. We were taking the steps to do what God had called us to do. That's that, that's that second desire. That you do what's necessary to become that overseer. You don't just say, uh, a guy stand up and say, I've got a desire to be a preacher and say, okay, preach. That's not how it works. Not day one. There's work involved. You've got to work to become the shepherd and the elder and the pastor and the teacher and the preacher that God wants you to be. You say, what, what do you got to do? What's the steps to get you there? I say there's two things, and I, I got to move on. But you got to be a learner. You can't teach if you won't learn. You got to be willing to sit under somebody's feet and to learn from them. That may take years. I sit under Pastor Jerry Lusk for four years after I surrendered to, to preach. And I learned everything that he could teach me. And that's when he said, I can't take you any further. You're going to have to go to seminary. So I went to seminary and I sent under professors who knew more than I did and they taught me the Bible. And that took me three years. You're sitting there saying four years under a man, three years in a seminary, and then I get to come here. It took a long time, but you have to be willing to learn or you'll never be able to teach. John Knox did that. He took off from where he was at I think he was in Germany at the time. And he went and sit under the, the, at the feet of John Calvin. And he learned under Calvin, I don't know how long it was. And he said it was just like Bible knowledge was being poured out into his mind. You have to humbly sit and learn. That takes time. There's a lot of pastors who have that inward desire to be a pastor, but they don't have the, the, 
the outward desire to pursue it, to learn. Second, you have to be under authority. You can't have authority unless you're, you've been under authority. You can't lead if, you're not, if you've not been led. That's the outward pursuit. And these two must go together. You must have that inward desire and the outward direction. Uh, I've seen the inward desire with no direction at all. I've seen the direction with no desire. I've seen guys sit in seminary classes that had more desire to learn in seminary than they did to go to the church and serve God's people. You've got to have both. You've got to have this strong desire. Two words. So it's a desirable call or a strong call, call that you just can't help it. I said it. I tried my best to say no, and it was an irresistible call on my life that there was no no. You must have both. Let's move on. And I'll say this. Because you could have somebody stand up and say, I've got the inward call and I've done the work. I've pursued it. And you put those two things together and that's still not enough. Now a church must lay their hands on you and check your qualifications here in your character before they can say, hey, this guy's truly called. So you can't have just a, a lone ranger out there saying, I'm called to preach. I've done all this. And they're doing that. They're, no, 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 no. You've got to have a church that says, we see that in you. Like the pastor who stood up and looked at John Knox and said, I see it in you, son. <laughs> Lastly, and I'll close, it's a supreme call. Yes. It says there, this is a true saying. And I, and, and I have literally taken this verse and, and wrung everything I could get out of it. It's a true saying, which is serious. If a man desires the office of a bishop, that's the sobering bishop weight of it all. He desires, there's your strong call, and then the good work, that's the supreme. I love that word good. If you want to do this, it is a good work to do. And that word good means it is supreme. It is a fine work. It's a, a worthy work. It's a, a noble work. It's an excellent work. There's great value in doing this work. Don't let anybody ever look down on the position of a pastor. It's a supreme, worthy work. That's what it's saying here. This is a, a great thing to do. John Wycliffe said, the highest service that man can attain upon the earth is to be a pastor of a church. I was sitting in a seminary class in Lynchburg one time, and they, they went around the room. There's a class of like 50 of us. <laughs> and we went, went around the room, and the professor said, and we're going to ask every one of you, what if God could give you anything in the world that you could do, and pastor any church, go anywhere, do anything, and you, you could ask him, and he'd say, yes, I'm going to give it to you. What would you ask for? And we went around the room, and these guys were asking for some of the, the biggest things in the world. They had evangelistic ministries like Billy Graham, and they had all these missionary activities, and these are all, all great things. And it got to me, and I'm like, well, I'm in the back. I'm a Baptist. I'm sitting back there in the back waiting my turn. I'm like, what am I going to say? And I thought, well, what's the one thing that I would ask God to let me do? What's the greatest thing in all the world that I could say, God, give me this. And it got to me and I stood up and I said, if God could give me anything that I asked for, I'd ask him to let me be a pastor of a local church. Yeah. That's, that's what I said. I had guys sit beside me and say, what are you talking about? That's nothing. Pick bigger. Pursue bigger things. I said, there is nothing bigger in all the world than pastoring a local church. And you know what God did? He gave it to me. 
He let me do it. I, I think there's no greater work in the world than to, than to do what I'm doing right now. I mean, how else would anybody want to serve, to spend their entire life than in a church serving God with people that He loves? There's nothing better. Nothing better. I thought about it this week. Steph said that she pulled into the parking lot and then all five of my kids were in there piling out like a clown car. And, and Hallie's just learning, but she pulled into the, in, into the parking lot to come and see me. And she, all the way down through here, she was saying, church, dad, church, dad, church, dad. She's one year old and she knows I'm going to church where my dad's at. I thought this is just, who could ask for more? My kids are right here with me. My wife is with me. We're all the time right here together. I love being here with you guys tonight. There's nothing greater than pastoring a local church. I may sound like a fool, but Paul says it's a good work. It may not be esteemed. It may not be a hero's job. It may not come with applause. It may not have fame. It may not have fortune. You may not drive unless you're Joe Osteen, a nice car. You may not be Creflo Dollar and fly around on a plane. But there's nothing like it in all the world. Paul says it's a good thing to spend your life doing this. And then he says the word, it's not only a good noble thing, it's a good work. I like that. The last word, and I'll close. I'm, I'm taking up too much of your time. Preach. The last word is work. I like that. You know what the word is? It means labor. Job. It means it takes energy to do it. It's not for a lazy man. It's not a job for a lazy man. It takes effort. It takes commitment. Old quote says it doesn't take much of a man. But it does take all the man. It's demanding. It's demanding physically. It'll wear on your body. I don't have calluses on my hands. But boy, it'll wear on your body. It's mental. It takes all your mind. It's emotional. It'll take every last bit of your emotions. You cannot be an emotionless pastor. You're pouring your emotions into everything that you do. Spiritually, family. It's a work that's never done. It's a work that you don't turn off at 5 o'clock. It's a work that you can't leave and go on vacation because you know that there's a flock. and You've got you you to answer calls. You never turn it off. It never goes away. And really you only know how much work it is if you've done it. It's a real job. I had somebody sit in my office one time that told me, they said, ask me. No, it wasn't in my office. There's somebody out in town asked me. So do you work a real job or are you just pastor? That's how people see it. You only work on Sundays. It's not a real job. There's no real work to it. I had somebody tell me that. You've never worked a real job in your life. They've never done it and that's okay. Pastors should never do it so people would think they've done some great work. They don't do it for notoriety. They don't do it for money. They do it because they're called to it. They do it because they want to serve God and they want to serve God's people. They do it because it's the highest calling in the entire world and there's nothing else they could do 
but to do this job. It's work. So let me go through it again and I'll close. It's a, it's a serious calling. It's a sobering, weighty calling. It's a strong calling that you just can't turn down. And it's a supreme call. There's nothing in the world like it. And if any man, do you like that? If any man, it doesn't say if any woman does it. If any man desires this, there's the high calling. Then he must be verses 2 through 7. That's just the beginning of this. Now we're going to go through, I think, something like 16 characteristics of a pastor. I think the next sermon I'll call it, what does a pastor look like? And we'll go through here and, and we'll look at every single one of them. Pastor must be blameless. He must have only one wife. That's it. He must have only, the old song says, I only have eyes for you. That means my eyes are on one woman and one woman only. We said that last week. There was women walking through the church trying to get the attention of the men. So he says here, you, you don't have your eyes on those women. You have your eyes on one woman. And my eyes are on one woman named Stephanie. That's what it says. You've got to have eyes on one woman. I don't want to get into it. I told you I could do one long sermon or two really long sermons. But you're going to go down through here, and it's going to be verses 2 through 7 of all these things that a man of God must be. And again, Martin Lloyd-Jones says to me, the work of preaching is the highest and the greatest and most glorious calling to which anyone could ever be called. It's the highest calling in the world. And I think that we ought to pray for pastors. I think it's the highest calling and one of the hardest jobs. And you guys may be thinking, oh, Josh is just tooting his horn tonight. He's just patting himself on the back. This is, this is a weight. This is what the scripture says. And I, th- I need your prayers because I can't do it without it. When you think of me, pray for me. And I think that we ought to pray for churches because we need more men that understand the high calling of this position. As goes the pastor. Can you imagine if we had men like with the high calling of, the, of chapter 3 and the high character of chapter 3 and we took these men and we placed them in churches all, get this, we placed these men that understand the high calling and had the high character and we placed them in churches all around Wise County and we had, instead of churches with, with pastors who just, just play at, at the position, you had pastors who, who took it serious and, and modeled all the things that, that, that we're supposed to model here. Can you imagine the change that would take place in our area? Could you imagine the change that would take place in, in, our, in our state, in our nation, in our families? Because as goes the pastor, so goes the church. And as goes the church, so goes the family. And as goes the family, so goes the town. And as goes the town, so goes the, the state. And as goes the state, so goes the nation. It all starts from the pulpit. So tonight I'm going to pray that God would give us pastors and churches all across this land who understand the high calling and the high character of what they're supposed to do. It's a big deal to be a pastor of a church. It's the highest calling in the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. This is a serious thing. And I thank you for calling me to do it. I, it had nothing to do with me. Nothing. Just your sovereign call that you had on my life. And I don't know why. But I thank you for calling me to this task. And I pray that you'd help me to, to know the seriousness of it, the sobriety of it, 
the strength of the call. A call that is so strong that not only can you not help but do it, but you'll never stop doing it. That you'll help me to always see how supreme it is. And I do pray, God, that you would help me to be the man and the character that you'd, you'd have me to be. I need to print these off and keep them in front of me on my desk all the time. This is who you'd have me to be. So help me to do it and forgive me for I failed you in these areas. And I have. And I pray, God, for the pastors that are in the pulpits around this area, that you'd help them to know how high a calling this is. And that they would be the men that they're supposed to be. And where there's not pastors in pulpits who are fulfilling this call, I pray that you'd place men there who will do the work that you've called them to do and will be the men that you've called them to be. Please, God, put men like this in chapter 3 in churches across our land. I read about John Knox this week. One man changed an entire nation. Give us men like that in southwest Virginia. Give us a man like that behind this pulpit. Help us understand this high calling. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.